Thank you all for being here. We'll go ahead and get started. Um, thank you, Ethan's family, for being here. Um, this is kind of an interesting week for y'all to show up for Sunday school because this is very different than how Sunday school normally goes. Um, I don't know, Ethan, how much you told them about what, what we've been doing, but yeah. So we're looking at we're looking at some of the books that have been in our tradition of Scripture in the past, but are no longer in the Protestant Bibles, and sort of examining. Is there anything of value that we can draw from them? Not to put them on the level of, say, Paul's epistles or the Gospels or anything like that, but to say, look, this has been part of our tradition until very recently. Um, so let's examine them and sort of throw some light on them and see what, if anything, we can draw from these books. So uh, the way that we've been doing it for the past few weeks, we had two introductory weeks, just sort of first exposure to these books. And then... Um, after that, we started looking at uh, the, the passages that show up in our weekly readings. We use uh, a lectionary system here at Christ Community Church, so we have calendar readings already pre-planned years in advance. Um, and some of these books have readings in that system. So that's been sort of our way to um, sort of facilitate this exposure to these books is to use the, the calendar readings that we already have. And just to look at those passages and see, you know, what they have for us, if anything. Um, and I thought it might be kind of a fun way to start this week by, um, by showing how they influenced a couple of our songs that we sing here at Christ Community Church. Um, now, there's this tradition in Christianity that the incarnation, the Bethlehem event, happened at midnight. Um, when half gone was the night, uh, it came upon a midnight clear Sometimes that's the moments that the angels are singing. Sometimes that's the moment Jesus shows up. But there's, there's sort of this tradition that it ha- whatever it was happened at midnight. Um, now, that's not in the Bible as we have it. Um, but it so happens, and I came across this this week, and I, I just had to share this with you guys. Um, this is from Wisdom of Solomon, which we've already looked at this book already. So we're kind of backtracking, but it's from a... a, a it's sort of a, a remembrance of God delivering Israel from the land of Egypt is what this is from. For while gentle silence embraced everything, and night at its own speed was half over when half gone was the night, your all-powerful logos leapt from heaven from the royal throne into the midst of a doomed land. So... When half gone was the night in the bleak midwinter, that's when the logo shows up. So anyway, I, I just had to share that with you guys. All right, so um, we've looked at Wisdom of Solomon. We've looked at Ecclesiasticus or Sirach, depending on who you talk to. Um, the next one in our series to look at is um, a book called Baruch, and there are only a few excerpts that are in our lectionary readings. So there's not a whole lot to draw from this week. So, you know, I was thinking how best to spend this time because we have, we have an hour together and there's only three readings. Um, 
and then and then it occurred to me that every every week we've had this um, you know this lesson series it, it every time it's come up well what about what about the theological issues what about that part in Maccabees that talks about purgatory that's come up every time I think and at least three out of four, but I think it's come up every week. Um, and when I was preparing this series, <clears throat> I wasn't planning to cover Maccabees because I thought out of all of the books, I thought that was the least practically valuable for our purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, well, I mean, there's, there's far more interesting stuff that we could be looking at. And I, I, I thought that, well, okay, so let's say that, yes, there's some questionable theology in that book or even a short part of that book. That doesn't compromise necessarily the rest of these books, and we can still draw value from them. So, you know, I've been coming at it from the approach of let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, and let's just see, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll discard the bad, we'll take the good, and, you know, we'll use our spirit of reverent discernment here. Um, but it's come up every week, and so it seems to me that that is a serious question that as a facilitator of this exposure I, I need to I need to address that we need, we need to talk about it because I think it'll be helpful for this group um, it is a concern in people's minds so before we get into Baruch um, let's talk about that passage in Maccabees and let's just kind of put it out in the open and say okay this is when we're talking about questionable theology in these books this is precisely what we're talking about and then let's decide uh, you know, if we're going to discard it or not. So the, the passage in question is um, from Second Maccabees, and the Maccabees are history books. They're, um, they're recounting a very tumultuous time during the, quote, 400 years of silence between exile and the incarnation. So that's the period that we're referring to. It's a very violent period. It's a very tumultuous time. There's a lot of persecution that the Jews are facing, and um, there's a lot of uh, messianic hope. They're anxiously awaiting the Messiah to show up at this, you know, this time in history. Um, so there's a battle. There are many battles in these books. In 2 Maccabees chapter 12, if anyone wants to look this up later, it's verses 42 through 45. 2 Maccabees 12, 42 through 45. Um, there's a... I think, if I remember correctly, they were fighting the Edomites, and um, they win, but it's a very bloody battle. The Jews win, but it's a very bloody battle. And um, the leader, his name is, um, depending on which translation you use, his name is either Jude or Judas or Judah. It's all the same name. Um, He is surveying the casualties after the battle's over. And he discovers that um, everyone who died in the battle was wearing and had on their person some tokens associated with idolatry. And so he says, well, this is why they died in battle. They, mm-hmm. they, they died because they, they you know, brought this immorality with them to the conflict. Mm-hmm. And um, had we not been involved in idolatry, we probably would have won with no casualties. That's sort of his thinking. So this is what happens after the battle and after that is discovered. And I'm, I've, 
at the time I was using King James, so forgive me for the Middle English here. Um, they took themselves unto prayer and besought him, besought God. So they, they were praying to God that the sin committed might wholly be put out of remembrance. Besides, that noble Judas or Jude exhorted the people to keep themselves from sin for so much as they saw before their eyes the things that came to pass for the sins of those that were slain. And when he had made a gathering throughout the company to the sum of 2,000 drachms of silver, so he's put together an offering, um, and he sent it to Jerusalem to offer a sin offering, doing therein very well and honestly, in that he was mindful of the resurrection. For if he had not hoped that they were slain, for if he had not hoped that they that were slain should have risen again, it had been superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. And also, in that he perceived that there was great favor laid up for those that died godly, it was a holy and good thought, whereupon he made a reconciliation for the dead that they might be delivered from sin. Did, were y'all tracking with that? Yeah. Uh, so he, he puts together an offering from the community, a, a money offering, takes it to Jerusalem, and basically offers up a sin offering on behalf of the people who died in battle who were idolaters um, in the hope that, you know, God might take that into account at the day of the resurrection. Um, if you look in the Catholic catechism and you look at things like purgatory and praying for the dead, this is what you'll see as their proof text. This is what they use. Um, they might maybe use another verse in Tobit, but it's so vague I didn't even bother including it because you could easily interpret it a couple different ways. Um, this, is, this is the proof text. It, so well, I, I would say that their, their practice, be that as it may, is not necessarily good theology. I mean, the Jews did all kind of crazy stuff there you in go. the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean. Right. So just putting it out there, this is... When we talk about that's questionable the theology, text. this is the this is text. it right here. Okay. That's that's what we're talking probably about. Probably their proof text for when they were into buying and selling indulgences too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, these two well, things went together, go. right? You had yeah. purgatory indulgences. Yeah. These were all combined together into yeah. one, you know, concept. And let us be clear: as Christ Community Church, in as much as this is about, uh, you know buying your brothers and sisters out of purgatory we don't do that here that's not our practice we do not believe that here so to be clear that is not something that we're on board with here at christ community church no now you know i've I've been impressed i'm reading some things in the old testament reading through that again but i mean before the exile the jews were just engaged in all kind of idolatry yes i mean just Pagan. They yes. were all involved in paganism and all that kind of stuff. A lot. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. shows up a lot in the Old Testament. It shows a lot, here, a lot here. And we are all human. We all struggle with idolatry. That is, a, that is part of the human condition. Um, the human heart is a factory of idols. Yes. John <laughs> this, is, this is true. John Calvin was right about that. Um, okay, so... On the one hand, yes, I want to say, like, in as much as that's what this is about, we're going to reject it. That is, there's our discernment here at play. Um, I also want to say that as a facilitator, my job is to present this stuff in the best 
and most useful possible light. So if there are any alternative interpretations, I want to present them to you guys. Um, because yes, I do reject this bad theology. And yet, and yet, in the spirit of reverent discernment, um, there are ways that we can read this that are not quite so bad. So let me just present those for your consideration. Um, and then we'll move on to Baruch, because I don't want to spend our whole time here. But it did seem important to talk about. So here, here's a couple things to consider when you're reading passages like this. Um, and I think you just said this to an extent. Uh, <clears throat> scripture, and then by extension, the books surrounding Scripture, are full of people doing right things the wrong way and wrong things the right way. You know, we are, we are full of sin and we are full of um, errors in judgment and madness. <laughs> and... Um, And when David commits adultery, we don't throw out King David. You know, when Solomon commits spiritual promiscuity, we don't throw away Solomon. Um, you know, we can accept this story as a part of our tradition and still say they did the wrong thing here. This was not the wrong, this was the wrong approach for them to take. Um, and yet, it says very clearly they did it because they were thinking about the resurrection. So there's some good theology mixed with bad theology. This stuff is, we're complicated, brothers and sisters. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember that and, and to have some humility here when we read this stuff. Um, here's, another, here's another consideration, something to think about. We are totally allowed, even within our Protestant sensibilities, we are totally allowed to pray for things that are promised. We're going to pray later this morning, even so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, God has already promised that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So why are we praying that? It's good to pray. It is, it is, it's about your relationship with God and yeah. your, your prayer life, your intimacy with Christ, um, our community's intimacy with Christ. Um, at the end of the day, that is what this is all about, is our relationship with God. Um, I will be their God. They will be my people. Um, my beloved is mine, and I am his. Um, one, one professor at, at Wheaton calls this Emmanuel theology, that you can sort of track the whole of what the Bible is concerned about through the lens of... Um, God with us. God with us. Yeah. Um, that is why we pray these things. Um, so that's another consideration, something to think about. Um, again, we're, to- we're discarding bad theology, and yet, you know, and yet, let's keep these things in mind, too. Um, it, it, it's important to me when I'm thinking about this stuff to make sure that if I'm rejecting something, that I reject the best version of it because anything less than that is a straw man argument so you know if we're going to reject this bad theology let's kind of let's give the devil his due and let's give it our best possible spin and then let's reject it does that make sense like you know of course of course we're against anyone here putting some money in the offering box in the hope 
that they can buy their, their grandfather out of hell. Like, of course. So we don't even have to discuss that because that's, everyone here is against that. So let's talk about maybe a, 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 a better version, like a, a, instead of a straw man version, let's give like a stone man or a steel man version of this. And then let's discuss that and then decide whether we're going to reject it or not. So in the interest of that, let's keep in mind that any lost person is dead. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, for you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. So you pray for any lost person. You're praying for a dead man or a dead woman. That they might miraculously become alive. Yeah, so which is more miraculous? I've, Christ posed that question to the Pharisees when he was healing the, the paralytic. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the implication of that question is that it's actually that the spiritual resurrection is the greater miracle here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's keep that in mind. Um, let's also keep in mind that in some very mysterious way that we're not going to be able to quantify and we're not going to be able to dissect because we're entering the realm of mystery here. Um, the dead in Christ, or shall we say the repose is, I think, the high church way of saying it. They are praying for us. And that is in Scripture. That's in the book of Revelation, which we've been studying. Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 10. Um, the souls under the altar, which, by the way, that's why those in sort of a high church system put relics under the altar is because it symbolically it fits with the book of revelation um the souls under the altar and it's very clear that these are saints who have died in persecution the passage is very clear about that um, they are saying how long O lord will these things continue to happen on the earth so in revelation we see very clearly that the the saints in christ who have died are are praying for events praying over events that are happening on the earth. By the way, God doesn't just give them what they want. He, he says, you have to wait. He says, not yet. That is his answer. But the prayer is still there. The, the prayer is still there. And um, so that's another consideration to keep in mind is that, you know, we're talking about, you know, whether it's legit for us to pray for the repose. Well, the repose are praying for us. So we're in the realm of mystery here. Um, and these are just things to keep in mind as we, as we work through this stuff. Um, I have a quote here from C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis is by no means the final word on any of this stuff, but I I think this is something to consider. This is from his book, Miracles, um, when he says, "When when we are praying about the results, say, of a battle or a medical consultation, the thought will often cross our minds that if we only knew it, The event is already decided one way or the other. I believe this to be no good reason for ceasing our prayers. The event certainly has been decided. In a sense, it was decided before all world. There's your before the foundation of the world. But one of the things taken into account in deciding it, and therefore one of the things that really causes it to happen, may be this very prayer that we're now offering. Thus, shocking as it may sound, I conclude that we can, at noon, become part causes of an event occurring at 10 a.m. And that's from Miracles. All right, so there's, there's the passage. 
There's some thoughts on it. Um, now it's y'all's turn. Well, it's the same mystery of, yes. of God's electing grace and that our, our will to move forward and believe in Christ. It's the yes. same kind of mystery. Yes. I mean, all through Scripture. On the one hand, of course, we're going to reject bad theology when we encounter it. Yeah. Of course. Let's also be aware of mystery, too. And not. And we need to be careful not to um, make our theology so systematic that we um, try to dissect God. That we figure it The mystery out. of salvation. <laughs> yeah. I think, there, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, we pray for people, lost people all the time. Yes. They, and scripture says preordained before the foundation of the earth you yeah know? so you know that's yeah we're praying for the dead at that point but somehow yeah. our prayers matter yes they do matter. So, they do you matter. know they do matter, they do matter. Yeah. yeah um they do matter. Yeah. I, don't think, I Let's also consider. Um, I know, Craig, you had something real quick. Let's also let's also consider that we, we don't we don't know who's in hell and who's not. We have no idea. Um, you know, we we that is up to God. That is up to God, and so yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I, mean, well, yeah, I was going to say something along those lines. You know, we believe that God has His elect, and uh, but we don't know who they are. And this is J.I. Packer's argument for evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know who they are. So, you know, if we're cursing somebody mm-hmm. who is outside of the faith at that point, we may be cursing the elect. And if we are evangelizing somebody you know, who's outside of the faith at that moment, we may be evangelizing the elect. You know, it's yeah. trying to make it a mathematical formula. It's just not going to work. Now, to me, there's an interesting thing here that the, the passage in, in the Maccabees that you read has something similar. I think it's in Thessalonians, one of the books to the letters to the Thessalonians, where uh, Paul mentions being baptized for the dead. And Mormons take that very literally. They're actually baptizing themselves in the name of deceased family members, you know, going back. This is why they did the whole ancestry. There's nothing else in Scripture that would indicate that's what Paul's talking about here. But, you know, it's something that we have to be discerning about. It's, it's a difficult saying. And, you know, I don't know the English. Yeah. It would be better to address what it could mean in language. But it does, you know, it does take some discernment and um, not just taking a very literal, you know, this is what it says, this must be what it means approach. Um, does anyone have well I see Bibles so people do have Bibles can someone look up something for me uh, 2 Timothy 1 16 through 18 
mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. I was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. If you, so this is, this is an example of our, our theology informs how we read this stuff. If you're Catholic or Orthodox and you read that, it's pretty obvious to you that Onesiphorus at this point is dead. Really? Um, if you're Protestant and you read this, that's not how you read it. You read that he's just praying for the whole household and, you know, surrounding Onesiphorus. But, um, you know, our Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters believe that at this point, you know, Paul is offering up a little prayer for Onesiphorus's family, but also for Onesiphorus. May the Lord grant him favor at the day of resurrection. Um, I, our, you know, some, you know, our, our scripture informs our theology, but sometimes our, our theology informs how we read scripture as well. These things are interconnected. So, on the other hand, there are scriptures that that contradict. Yes. The idea of purgatory. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. I, th- I think that's part of why it's rejected by the reformers. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could just go down the list, passage after passage. That that's the case. Um, but you know, this this the way we understand this stuff develops over time, and it sort of evolved through church history. And um, Tertullian uh, said, I remember reading this. He said. Um, this is the guy, by the way, who invented the word Trinity. Um, he said, uh, the, the widow who does not pray for her dead husband may as well have divorced her. <laughs> you know, so this stuff was, the church fathers, they approached this stuff very differently. You know, they, they, um, it was very common in the early church to have, you know, rites and prayers for the dead it was actually the first this is this is complicated the first church the first church father type person who was outspokenly against that was Arius and in fact uh, when the Lutheran confession sort of gave its sort of you know its nuanced approach to this stuff they had to clarify we are not following Arius by saying this they had to make that clear because Arius was the person who was against praying for the dead. So this stuff is complicated. And, and, you well, know, even though a person is wrong, he may say some things that are right. He may say some <laughs> things that are right. You know? And the orthodox perspective ended up being in the wrong here, while the heretic in this one instance was correct. So um, you know, it is the, we've said this multiple times in this study, but it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory okay. of kings to search it out. And God is glorified in the complexity, not despite it. So, um, any further thoughts on this before we go to go to Baruch? Just in general, this is yeah. just my attitude toward the idea of purgatory. It seems to be more for the living than for the dead. Uh, you, you still get a chance to pay, to pray for your poor old dead grandfather who was a reprobate. Yeah, you try to get him into heaven. You know, this this makes us feel better, whereas you know. Perhaps it doesn't have anything to do with eternity. Yeah. It allows uh, us to be more sentimental. But because of that, <laughs> it's very easy to manipulate. And 
indulgences yeah. oh, have already been mentioned here. Today. Oh, yeah. So well, let's let's see if we can't get some coin out of this. It's, yeah. so it's a gold mine. It's a gold mine. To reparate grandfather out of the purgatory. Well, in that case, also, it's not about the person who's dead. It's about what's happening now. It's about we've got a cathedral that we're trying to build. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And, and so we can extrapolate that into well, maybe we we should. Uh, uh, be a little bit more um, introspective about some of the things that we embrace, you know, as the church, very general. Yes. Um, you know, what do we embrace that is just makes us feel good when it's perhaps not necessarily true? Mm -hmm. It's just a good exercise. I, I think too, there's a, there's a real fine line here because we all, I think we probably all agree that. We don't need to look toward this as a means of salvation. Okay, that, that's where we... But, you know, I mean, I've been to funerals where someone will say, well, I pray so-and-so is, is in, the, you know, in the presence of God today. Well, that's not really... I mean, I don't... It's hard for me to, to, to condemn that. You know what I'm saying? Theologically. Because they're, they're speaking out in a moment of... of of uh, grief, and you know, it is their desire that somebody be in the throne, and it's now, faith. It's yeah, faith. yeah, yeah. So I don't. I, so to me, that's a little different issue than praying somebody out of purgatory. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying whether I know what's right or wrong. I'm just yeah. saying that that there's a fine line on some of these issues. Yes, where we yeah. really have to. Part of it's human emotion. It is, yeah. It's human emotion, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why this um, exercise of steel manning or stone manning is so valuable. Yeah. Because it's easy for us to discard the the straw man <coughs> version. Like, of course, that's of course we're right. not about that. Yeah. There's this yeah. part here that well, it, or we what, can acknowledge the complexity here. Yeah. Or what if somebody prays, you know, their their mother is in heaven and they pray, well, I pray that mom's, you know. Doing great in heaven. Well, obviously she's doing great in heaven. I mean, that's kind of a silly prayer. Right. But but I've I've heard people pray that way before, you know. And I I, I would think that prayer is unnecessary. But I'm not going to go to that person and say you shouldn't have prayed that. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's not a theological hill to stand on in that case, in my opinion. It's easy to. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to uh, say that silly when you're not the person grieving. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I would say that, that relying on praying somebody out of purgatory as a means of salvation is a theological hill to stand on because that's not the gospel. Right, right. right. So, you know. Right. Then now you're, now, you're, yeah. now you're affecting how we think about salvation. Right, yeah. 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 Well, we go along with a lot of kind of stuff at funerals, you know. I mean, yeah. people are torn up in their emotions and they have these kind of good and bad theological ideas. And like, well, sure. You know, God bless you, son. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not a place to argue. Right, right. It's not a place to argue. I've heard a lot of sentimental talk. Sentimental talk. And where they focus on fishing trip or whatever happened and how this person was. But nobody, well, not really, but uh, a lot of cases like this, our focus should be on the resurrection body of Christ. Mm -hmm. They are going to be resurrected like Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I'll share this if I could. Sure. <laughs> I remember my 
grandfather died, and my dad was a believer, and uh, my brother and I were acting up as boys do, and he put his hand on the show and said, boys, we don't please, just try to keep life and, and he was torn up with this. My grandfather was, I remember him cursing my grandfather. I remember him trying to beat the horse because he knew what he wanted to do. And, he would bone the blood out of his mouth and he would curse that horse. Scared me. I was a little boy, a little over the wind, I'm sure. And I remember a pastor came out and visited him. And he said, I wasn't raised to go to church. I'm not interested. That was the story. And he died at 59 with a heart attack. Now, I'm not going to say he's not in heaven. If he died on his deathbed, Spirit grew him and he believed that he would be in glory. But my thought is that he was an unbeliever, so he would not be in heaven. But I could be wrong either way. Sure. And hopefully you are. And, and yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. But, uh, but the picture of him was a picture of a lost man. Mm-hmm. And I had another relative that was real close to me that uh, I participated in a lot of sin with him many years ago, which are gone. Christ has forgiven me. I can't forget him, but God has forgotten him. And uh, his son, who is a Christian, uh, in the hospital just a few years back here, said, well, do you think he was saved? And he's on the bed dying. You can hear his chest rattling just before he took his last breath. And I said, well, he said he was. And my opinion is that he was not. Because I knew him well. Mm-hmm. And, and after that, uh, even as... Uh, you know, I just heard what he said. The abundance of the heart, the words are coming out. And uh, and this man was good to me, and he provided for his family. Was a hard worker. Matter of fact, he was a wealthy man. And uh, but that's another case where it's been hard for me. But I've I've never prayed for them since then. I do not pray for them because I don't believe in praying for the dead. But only God knows, and surely we can be wrong, but it just appears that I can analyze what I see with the mind God's given me, and it just feels to me like that neither one are saved. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's hard. It's, it's an emotional thing, but the family that is so uh, uh, sentimental, I guess, well, they, now they were great in their family. Yes, well, that may be true, but did they repent of their sin and believe in Christ? That's the big answer. That's the issue. Yeah. I'm <laughs> well, Getting back so to the basics. In, uh, That's the issue. In effect, he committed them both to God, yeah. which is a prayer. Mm-hmm. In a way, I mean, we, bring, we bring up our petitions to God, mm-hmm. but we commit them to Him according to His pleasure, according He's to His will. You probably don't know in the time frame like 12 or something at the team. You put the Lord is all the time. So if the Lord puts on your heart to pray for somebody now who is in a different country where that time has already happened, it's mm-hmm. the most different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He invented time. <laughs> he is not bound by it. Um, I, before, before I forget and before we move on, I also want to say that I do find it interesting that in that Maccabees passage, the author went out of his way 
to sort of give a justification to why Judas did what he did. He said, you know, the reason why he did this is because he was thinking about the resurrection. That's interesting to me for a couple reasons. One, um, it's interesting because um, it, it strikes me that the author himself maybe had a problem with it. <laughs> you know, he, the fact that he went out of his way in this sort of historical record to say why that happened, to kind of break the fourth wall a little bit, um, it seems like he thought it necessary to explain why this made sense in the mind of, of Jude. Um, and also, I think it's important because it shows that in this time between what we call the intertestamental period, the time between um, the Old Testament prophets and the incarnation, as they're anxiously awaiting the Messiah in the midst of persecution, that's when the theology around the resurrection begins to develop. You don't hear a whole lot about the afterlife in the Old Testament. It's there, and you can, in retrospect, go back and see it. But it's not nearly as developed as it is in the New Testament period. You hear about Sheol. You don't necessarily hear about uh, hell and heaven a whole lot in the Old Testament. But you hear about it a lot in these books, in the uh, what we're calling the peripheral canon, the, st- the books surrounding and anticipating the New Testament. Um, this book is part of that development. You know, it's part of that. It is part of that um, anticipation and these developing ideas about um, what, in light of what we already know in the Old Testament, what we can uh, draw from that in order to understand the the afterlife, hell and heaven. Um, so I think that's another reason why it's important. It sort of attracts that development, even if they got it wrong. It says very clearly that he did this because he was mindful of the resurrection of the dead. That's something that we emphasize a lot here at Christ Community Church, the resurrection of the dead. So, yeah. Um, Anything else before we move on to Baruch? If not, um, as per usual, you have handouts here. Uh, These are the passages that show up in our lectionary readings. Um, The only order is that it's just which one shows up first in the book. Uh, They, like the others, appear to be random because they're not necessarily connected to other texts that would show up in the calendar. Um, So they don't necessarily have a lot of connection with each other. That said, um, the first two, the, the second one does seem to be somewhat of a continuation of the first one. So... I think I'll read them. I think I'll read them together and then we can sort of talk about them. So Baruch was the secretary of the prophet Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first this is a very short book. The first half is a a uh, prayer that uh, is sort of prayed. Uh, with all of Israel in mind. This is after the siege, after Jerusalem is sacked and people are taken captive. This is after the events in the book of Jer- This is like between Jeremiah and Lamentations, sort of how you can think about it. Um, Jerusalem has fallen. Um, it is one of the darkest days in Jewish history, or darkest times. That happened in, I want to say, I have it written down here. That happened, the siege happened in 586 BC. Baruch was written about 581. 
um, to about five years later. And the first half is a prayer of confession. And the second half is, uh, is Baruch writing. And it is a uh, promise of restoration, similar to what you would find in like um, Isaiah or uh, even Jeremiah to an extent. So these first two passages are uh, in, in our keeping that sort of confession in mind. This is from a place of great humility and sorrow and uh, desecration. Hear the commandments of life, O Israel. Give ear and learn wisdom. Why is it, O Israel, why is it that you're in the land of your enemies, that you're growing old in a foreign country, that you're defiled with the dead, that you're counted among those in Hades? You have forsaken the fountain of wisdom. If you had walked in the way of God, you would be dwelling in peace forever. Learn where there is wisdom, where there is strength, where there's understanding, that you may at the time, at the same time, discern where there is length of days and life, where there is light for the eyes and peace, who has found her place and who has entered her storehouses. Um, I'll go ahead and read the next one and then we'll open it up for comments and just whatever sticks out to you. But he who knows all things knows her. He found her by his understanding. He who prepared the earth for all time filled it with four-footed creatures. He who sends forth the light and it goes called it and it obeyed him in fear. The stars shone in their watches and were glad. He called them and they said, here we are. They shone with gladness for him who made them. This is our God. No other can be compared to him. He found the whole way to knowledge and gave her to Jacob, his servant, and to Israel, whom he loved. Afterward, she appeared upon earth and lived among men. She is the book of the commandments of God and the law that endures forever. All who hold her fast will live. Those who forsake her will die. Turn, O Jacob, and take her. Walk toward the shining of her light. Do not give your glory to another or your advantages to an alien people. Happy are we, O Israel, for we know what is pleasing to God. Any thoughts? Well, it consistent in uh, making wisdom feminine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Yeah. Sophia, right? yeah. Yeah, that's been a common thing that we've noticed in these books. It's talked a lot about Lady Wisdom. They were very they were very concerned with Lady Wisdom. Do you think they had developed a, um, at this time they had developed an understanding of of wisdom as divinity in the form of the logos? Do you think they had, do you think they were there yet? We saw that with Sirach. Yeah. Um, and being, and this being is, Christ, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we saw that with Sirach. We saw it a little bit with Wisdom of Solomon, but we, de- we definitely saw it with Sirach. Yeah. Um, and this was written before then. Okay. I mean... 580, 581 BC is a good bit before 200 BC. So, yeah. Um, I would say yes. I would say that that was in the process of developing, especially as we get more into influence with Greek philosophy and we actually hear about the logos itself 
this doesn't actually mention the logos, but CRAC does. Yeah. So. Yeah. <coughs> some of this sounds like some of the introductory chapters in Proverbs, like learn where there is wisdom, where there is strength, where there is understanding that you may have time to discern, where there is length of days, and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Sounds a lot like some of those introductory yeah. lines. I, I find it interesting along what you're saying that that passage, this thing that we just read talks about Lady Wisdom being sort of the personification of the entire Old Testament. You know, it says she is the book of the law. Mm. So you have developing this idea that there's a, there's a person who is the wow. fulfillment of the whole Old Testament, wow. right? Now that's Lady Wisdom here, but we know that wisdom is Christ, yes. you know. So wisdom personified is Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And we see that Beautiful. starting here. Yeah. There, there's an element of mystery too in uh, verses 31 and 32. No one knows her way, nor does anyone ponder her path. Yeah. But the one who knows all things knows her. So that's, that's kind of a hint at, uh, is that even a word? <laughs> a deity uh, you know, uh, identity. Wisdom uh, that is really um, kind of beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, the church father Origen, who's probably my favorite church father, um, he had something to say about this first passage. Um, he said, he, put, he sort of puts this in line with the rest of the Old Testament, like y'all were saying. He says, well, okay, so we have these, these commandments that it says lead to life. Okay, and now he's sort of working through that as he's writing. He says, let us see what it promises if they are observed. It says, if you will observe my ordinances, I will not bring on you all the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians. That was from a passage in Exodus. He's sort of putting this all in context and thinking of it as a whole. Um, he says, what does he mean to say? That if one observes the commandments, he will not suffer disease. That is, he will not have a fever or suffer other pains of the body. I do not believe that these are the kinds of promises given to those who observe the divine commandments. In another place, there's the example of Job, the most just and observant of every religious act of mercy. He's struck by ulcers from head to foot. Therefore, one cannot say that those who keep the commandments are free from diseases. Mm -hmm. But it does say that they will not have the diseases that the Egyptians have. In fact, the world is figuratively called Egypt. So Origen Mm. discerns Mm. as he's reading passages like this that it's it's a spiritual disease. Mm. This is about the disease of the heart. Soul sickness. Soul sickness, yes. Soul sickness. Um, Yeah. Why is it, O Israel... That you are defiled with the dead, that you're counted among those in Hades. There's the dead that we were talking about earlier. Spiritually dead. Alive, but spiritually in exile. Spiritually diseased. Spiritually dead. And that's how the church fathers go back and look at this. And they see it through that lens that uh, this is about the disease of the heart. So, um, All right, we got a couple more minutes. Let's look at the last one here. From chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I did not, by the way, mean for this to be so in line with our 
worship service this morning. We're going to be singing garments of praise this morning. That was not intentional. It just kind of happened. Take off the garment of your sorrow and affliction, O Jerusalem. Put on forever the beauty of the glory from God. Put on the robe of righteousness from God. Put on your head the diadem of the glory of the everlasting. For God will show your splendor everywhere under heaven. Your name will be called by God, peace of righteousness and glory of godliness. Arise, O Jerusalem, stand upon the height, look toward the east, see your children gathered from west and east at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that God has remembered them. For they went forth from you on foot, led away by their enemies, but God will bring them back to you, carried in glory as on a royal throne. For God has ordered that every high mountain and the everlasting hills be made low and the valleys filled up to make level ground so that Israel may walk safely in the glory of God. The woods and every fragrant tree have shaded Israel at God's command. For God will lead Israel with joy in the light of his glory, with the mercy and righteousness that come from him. So there's Baruch's answer to the people confessing and saying, we have sinned, please have mercy on us, O God. This is Bar- that's Baruch's answer. Um, and it's a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem yeah. and uh, the glory of Resurrection Day. Um, that's what this is about. And the church fathers read this and, you know, taking off garments, and putting on new garments. And they said, well, this is about the old man and the new man. They said, this is about putting off the old man, putting on the new man in the new kingdom, being made new after the image of Christ. So any final thoughts before we call it a morning? Yeah. I think that was a king, wasn't yeah, it? That, that was, was a king. king. You're probably thinking of Hezekiah. No, no. Not Hezekiah. Yeah, he had 15 years to his life. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Secretary. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. That would be interesting to, to find out. I, I was under the impression that that was one of the kings that he said that, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out. It's um, a beautiful passage there at the end. Uh, any, anything else? If not, thank you guys so much. Um, we'll, be, we'll take a break from this next week. Um, I'll be out of town, and I'll have one more week on Pentecost Sunday uh, where we'll wrap this whole study up. So thank, thank y'all. Thank you.